0: Um, the last couple of weeks, we talked about what it means to be a disciple, that uh, to be a disciple means to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to be committed to the mission of Jesus. That's, that's how we're defining discipleship. That's, that's what it's about, following Jesus wherever he leads, um, being changed by Jesus, changed on the inside, changed in the way that we think, changed in the things that we do by Jesus. Um, and be committed to the mission of jesus That's that 's what it means to follow to to be a disciple to be a christian uh, to be a christ follower last week, Chris talked about about being in relationship with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and that when we abide in Jesus, when we live in that relationship where he gives us life and everything comes from him that that that, that Jesus does stuff in us he he prunes us he he take stuff away that would compete for our affections with him. And um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that for the next uh, whole bunch of weeks. We're we're moving today into the book of James, and we're going to look for, in the book of James at what it means to be a disciple. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the first chapter of the book of James. If you've got a smartphone, you can get there. Uh, we're going to look at, at uh first eight verses and then uh, verse 12 as well in just a little bit. But it's kind of important to know why we're there. James, um, the author of James, the guy who wrote the book of James, was Jesus' younger half-brother. So James' mother was Mary. His father was Joseph. Um, Jesus' mother was Mary. His father was God, right? Uh, so the half-br- younger half-brother. And can you imagine what it would have been like to grow up in that home as James? Uh, can you, can't you hear Mary and Joseph's saying, why can't you be more like your older brother Jesus? Why can't you do what Jesus did? You know Jesus never did that. Uh, why can't you study Hebrew school like Jesus did? I, it had to be an incredibly crazy thing for James to grow up with and when you think about it <clears throat> it's even crazier to think about what it would mean to give up everything to follow your older brother as his disciple um, in the in the, the historians tell us that James was known as Camel knees, old camel knees in old age, because he spent between four and six hours a day on his knees in prayer. James has incredible stuff to share with us today. Uh, uh, James chapter one. You know, uh, b- b- right before we get there, there there are some there are some hard things in Scripture. There are some times when you read the Bible and and you say man, if I were writing this, I would not put that there. Or you look at it and you say, I, ooh, I don't know that I like that at all. This passage this morning that we're going to look at and spend most of our time on, it's one of those passages. It starts out pretty innocuous. Uh, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. And then he says the stuff that you go, what? He says, "Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials." Now, everybody together say, "What?" <laughs> Consider it joy when you encounter trials. How many of you say, "Oh boy, more trials!" Woohoo! That's not our normal path, right? When things go south, we say, get me out of here. This stinks. I don't want any part of it. And yet James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. There are three words in that phrase that that jump out at me. The first is the word joy. Who would have joy in trials? That doesn't make any sense at all. When you struggle, when when you hurt, when there's pain, where what's the joy in that? Now, until I think back to when I was in high school and playing football. August in Ohio during two days were horrible. You know, we'd practice when it was eighty-five, practice in the morning, practice in the afternoon. That was before doctors said you couldn't do that. And, and um and and it just was, it was horrible. You start to hit, my arms would end up all bruised. I, you know, I'd be a mess during football season. Lots of pain, lots of struggles, lots of trials. But on Friday nights, it was all worth it. And by the first Friday of November, when our team had won the championship, it was all worth Considerate joy when you encounter those trials. The the trials weren't fun, but the result was absolutely worth it and it brought joy when I thought about the end result, not just focused on the trials. Second word that that jumps out to me is the word trials. Trials mean pain, right? And if you think about your life and the trials that exist in your life right now, they may be physical pain, physical trials, they may be emotional trials, they may be medical trials, they may be intellectual trials, they may be situational trials. You know what they are. You can think of them right now. You probably don't have to think very hard at all. Trials are painful. They're a mess. The third word that sticks out to me is the word when. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Y'all understand, if you're not in a season right now where you're experiencing trials, you will be soon because when means that we all experience. Trials are real for everyone. It doesn't matter if you live in a third world culture, uh, in a third world country, and your trials are trying to get clean water for your family, trying to protect your children from disease so that, they, so that they live past the age of five. It doesn't matter if you live in a different part of Lansing and your trials are trying to get food on the table for your family and to live in a safe place. It doesn't matter if your trials are Are physiological, and you're fighting emotional stuff: depression, angst, all all that kind. It doesn't matter what your trials are; you're going to face them at one time or another. It may be that your trial right now is that you're that you're out of work. You're trying desperately to find a job that can sustain you. We will have trials. Uh, The summer of 2007, 10 years ago, was an incredibly difficult summer for us. As we headed into the summer, our oldest daughter, Leah, was getting married on August 7th. It, it was time of great anticipation and joy. We were jazzed about it. Ch- uh, Charlie's great, uh, and we looked forward to her wedding. Um, that spring, as, at the church that we served, uh, we went through a capital campaign where we were trying to raise millions of dollars to help build a facility that would allow us to impact the community in a, in a real direct way hit the first week of May and the capital campaign was done, and, and we had a good response, but the response was significantly less than we had anticipated. And so the senior staff, me and, and two other guys, had a meeting after it was all done and began to evaluate where we were, what we could do, what we had done. And in the midst of that meeting, um, I was asked a, a real direct question about the stuff that had happened through that time and I gave an answer that was real direct and it wasn't what what they wanted to hear. And in an instant, I went from a position of trust to a position of distrust. I went from a place of being very much at the heart and center of, of what we did as a church to being on the outside. I, I, I wanna communicate real clearly um, it was not something that I went asking for. It was in the process of an evaluation of where we were and trying to and trying to sense where God would lead us, and it was incredibly difficult. It was devastating for us because we loved the church, loved what we were doing, loved what God was doing there, and and by being honest in a meeting, um, everything changed. Been there, done that, experienced that. It's it's. Hard, It threw our world into a spin. About two weeks later, our 12-year-old son, Josiah, went to the doctor for his 12-year-old checkup. Saw the doc. He had been going to the doc, you know, all the time, normal stuff. We had six kids, so we were in the doctor's office all the time. Um, Joe, Joe went in, and the doc checked him out, and the doc said, Hey, I'm sure you've heard this before, but you know that he has a heart murmur. Has anybody told you that before? And we said, a heart murmur? No, nobody's ever said that before. He's been going to the doctors. And he said, yeah, it's, it's probably no big deal. Most kids that have a murmur, it, they grow out of it, but we need to do an echocardiogram to just check and make sure that it's not anything more serious. So we scheduled the echo, um, and I went with him. Only one person go back, could go back, so so uh, Deb's sitting out in the lobby. I'm back with Joe, and, and Joe's 12-year-old kid looking at this machine, you know, he's getting hooked up, doing the whole thing. And, uh, and the tech was great. The tech said, are you nervous? And Joe said, uh, yeah. Uh. He said, it's no big deal. Not going to be any problem at all. He said, we'll be done in 20 minutes, maybe even 15 minutes. It, it's not going to take any time. So we sit there, and we're talking as he's going through stuff. And after a little bit, he kind of stopped talking. And 15 minutes became 20 minutes, became 25 minutes, became 30, and then 35. And I said, uh, he, he, he was finishing up, and um, he said, he said um, you know there's there's something I'm not sure about and I need somebody else to just take a look at um, you guys just hang out here I said okay and um, and I remember going out and just kind of glancing at Deb and we knew something was was not right the doctor came in he, uh, he introduced himself as the head as the as the chief of the pediatric cardiac Institute of Washington DC and I thought this is not good At all and uh, he proceeded to explain that Joe's aorta had been pinched since birth that he didn't have a pulse he couldn't find a pulse in his feet because there because the amount of blood flow to the lower half of his body was was so um, deprived Um, and he said (laughs) it was interesting because he said he said "Um, you know it's not an emergency it's not an emergency but he needs to have surgery to correct this in the next six weeks or so. Um, And I remember thinking, oh, it's not even, oh, good. You know, it's not like we're going in tomorrow, but it's gotta be done in the next six weeks. Um, It was uh, an incredibly uh, stressful time as we tried to sort through what that meant for us as Joe faced the surgery and to try and understand what was going on in his body. Um, Summer proceeded a little bit farther along, we headed for Leah's wedding. And uh, it came time to do Leah's wedding family came in from out of town. It was great We did the rehearsal on on uh, Friday night all set for the wedding on Saturday We're at the house at our house just doing some final prep for the reception getting ready kind of working through all the stuff for her wedding and I got a call from my brother-in-law and my my, Deb's uh, oldest sister Jane had had gone down uh, um, in the checkout line at, at one of the stores there, and he said they've taken. You know, just want to let you know they've taken Jane to the hospital by ambulance. Uh, don't really know a lot more than that. And and we, he said, you know, who knows? Jane had had some heart problems before, but it was um, Jane sometimes had a little bit of drama in her life, and so it was like, oh okay, here we, you know, here we go, wedding day. She's doing the drama stuff. We kept working on things, and about 45 minutes later, got a call from Steve, and Steve said. Uh, Jane died in the checkout line and um, She's at the hospital her body's at the hospital and we need to we need you guys to go over there and In an instant We had to sort through all kinds of stuff Had to tell our daughter and Her fiance That her aunt had died had to go to the hospital and tell Her mom that her oldest daughter had died we had to go back in the room in the hospital with Jane's body and with her husband and just grieve and pray together Um, the rest of that day is a blur I you know it's funny as I can remember so much of the specific events of that day up until the wedding And I don't really remember anything about Leah's wedding. It's one of the things that I grieve. It's, I I just don't remember anything. Um, Leah got married. We were able to do the ceremony. We went back to Ohio for Jane's funeral. And this is 10 years ago. If you remember 10 years ago, there was a thing that happened in a number of places throughout the United States um, where there were some bad carrots that were grown with some stuff, and it created, a uh, it produced a disease called shigella. Um, shigella is a, it's a disease that attacks your intestines and causes uh, incredibly severe diarrhea and and just a mess. Well, somebody brought a tray of carrots to the family for the visitation, and about a third of our extended family of about 70 people got shigella um and and so there was that piece that was a mess we came back deb had shigella several of our kids had it and um and that week we we had to come back so i could meet with a surgeon we were to meet with a surgeon and deb couldn't go to meet with the surgeon um because uh, because of the shigella and because we couldn't risk getting the doctor sick because if so it would have delayed joe's surgery by two or three months uh, um, I remember going to this surgeon and filling out the paperwork, and um, and the paperwork for his surgery was different than paperwork that we've done for other surgeries. You know, where you fill out the paperwork and you say, "Yeah, I understand that this can happen and this can happen." There are all these side effects that are possible. Joe's surgery, the first thing that was there said, "I understand that he can die in this surgery," because they were cutting. His chest open, they were cutting his aorta apart and trying to reattach it. If it wasn't reattached correctly, he would, he would die in just a, a, a period of a few minutes. I remember having to sign that and thinking, oh God, ah, ooh, I don't know. I don't know how you do this. Went to church the next Sunday. I remember being in church and thinking, man, there is no place I'd rather be than here. And we sang a song We sang a song that these were the words. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll pour back to you. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Those words come from the book of Job. Satan came to God and said, God, people only love you because you take good care of them, because you treat them well. And God said, no, 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 no. Look at my servant Job. Job is a righteous man. He's great. And Satan said, you know, no, it's only because you've taken such good care of him. And God removed his protection from Job and Satan attacked and in an instant wiped out all of his wealth. And all of his children were killed. In, In one afternoon, Job went from rich and prosperous, lots of kids, to just he and his wife. And Job didn't turn his back on God. Satan came and said, you know what, God, Job's not, Job really still, yeah, all that bad stuff happened to him, but nothing has happened to him yet. And God said, no, Job's righteousness, Job's faithfulness is true. And God removed his protection and Satan attacked Job and caused boils to to fall all over his body. His health, um, it fell apart. And Job said, you know, naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Joe's surgery ended up being successful. He's now a 22-year-old guy. He's active. He's able to do anything that he wants. God's taking great care of him. Um, he has blood flow in the bottom half of his body. It's it's all good. But, you know, when I look back on that summer of 2007, one of the things that I remember is that the body of Christ surrounded us in that crisis. I remember after Jane had died the day after the wedding, I got up on stage and, and said, you know what, I don't understand. I don't understand this at all. I don't understand how things happen the way they do. But I know that God is faithful. And I know that God is true. And I know that God never leaves us or forsakes us. You need the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ. You need to be involved in a life group. You need to be in community, and you've got to do it now if you're not in crisis, because if you wait until the crisis comes, until the trials come, it's too late. If you don't have people to walk through that journey with, you will flounder. You can't instantly grow those kind of relationships. So let me just encourage you, you've got got to take that step. I asked Deb just a couple of weeks ago, what I said, what, what did we learn from 2007, you know, from that summer? And she said, she said, I think that we learned in a new way that God is faithful and that God is real. It's not an intellectual thing. It's not, it's not any stuff. God is real. And he's faithful through the trials. That summer was incredibly difficult. But we grew immensely from it. We grew deeper because of those trials. How can you have joy in the midst of trials? It's by putting your trust in God. It's by trusting that He has a perspective that's far bigger than ours, no matter what the trials are. It doesn't matter if you made the mess in your life or if the mess happened to you, God is still faithful. And we can still find joy in those trials. In the midst of it, we've got to put our trust in Jesus. And that trust means that we can't see the end right where we are. Don't miss this. You know, my story from 2007 is not any better, worse, whatever, than many of your stories. Many of you have gone through things far different, far uh, more significant, far more difficult than what we experienced. Nobody's trials are any better or worse than anybody else's. They're, they're just what we experience. But we can trust God through the trials, no matter what they are. The issue isn't the trials. The, issues is, the issue is how we respond to them. James says, "...consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give. Uh, uh, he, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. but let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let me let me give you just some takeaways for me from this passage of Scripture. Um, in this quest of discipleship that we have, of being changed by Jesus, these things shape the way that we handle trials so that we don't handle them like the rest of the world, so that we don't handle them as people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. First is this, uh, Trials are universal. They're going to happen to everyone. Don't try to avoid trials. As Americans, we do everything that we can to avoid conflict, to try and, and, and limit that in our lives. I want, to, I want to say to you today, you don't need to go looking for them, but they're going to be there. And don't try and escape them. Don't try and um, ignore them. Find joy in them. When, when trials come, we either, we either embrace them and look with God's perspective or we become angry and bitter. When we experience trials, our tendency is to whine and cry. But understand, everybody goes through trials. The second thing is this. Trials produce endurance, strength, and maturity. Those are good things. Endurance is a good thing. Don't try, don't try to pursue that trouble-free life. Without trials, there is no endurance, there is no maturity. Without trials, you will never be the person that God created you to be. You will never play football in high school or college or the NFL without trials. You will never have a successful career without trials. You will never have a successful marriage or be a successful parent without trials. Consider it joy when you encounter trials. Don't pursue that trouble-free life. Understand that when trials come, they change us. No one is ever the same after they experience a miscarriage. No one is ever the, the, the same when they experience the loss of a job. No one is ever the same when they experience a death in their family that's close to them or close friend. No one is ever the same when they experience significant financial loss. Nobody's ever the same when they experience a broken relationship. Nobody is ever the same when their body experiences, uh, is, is encompassed by disease or accident. Houston will never be the same after Hurricane Harvey. Florida will never be the same after Hurricane Irma. Joplin, I can tell you six years later, is not the same place it was. Six years ago, before the tornado. When you encounter trials, you will never be the same. The question is, how are you going to change? The challenge is to be changed by Jesus, to be more like him. Third thing's this, we can choose our response to trials. James says, consider it joy. It's a matter of perspective. The greater the trials you have, the more you have to depend on God, right? You don't have, when trials come, you don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be sarcastic. You don't have to lash out. You don't have to wake up and dread each day. What else, what else is going to go wrong today? You don't have to go into isolation. And you don't have to shoulder the burden by yourself. Trials build strength consider it joy. We choose what perspective we have, but our perspective can only change when we begin to see with God's perspective and not just ours. Next thing, we don't have to face trials alone. Do you understand, no matter what you're going through, God wants to help. When you're in the midst of the pain, God wants to respond. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I don't know if you need this or not, but there's a question there. How do you ask God for help? What do you do? All you do is say, God, would you help me? God, I need you desperately. Desperately. Would you help me see from your perspective? Because right now, all I can see is this tiny little box that's just swallowing me up. God, would you give me that bigger view? Would you give me endurance? Would you help me depend on you more than I am right now? God, I am desperate for you to provide hope and strength. And somewhere in the midst of that process of that prayer, let me just encourage you to look for ways that you can help others. When, when we're swallowed up in pain, one of the things that I've found in my life is that when I pray, God, I need your help, one of the things that he does is say, you know what, there's this one little thing that you could do right here. And when I begin to take that step to serve in that way, stuff starts to change. Because all of a sudden I start to see a little bit more than my pain, than my struggle. Last thing is this. Handling trials well brings an incredible promise. The crown of life. Verse 12, James says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. A disciple, we've said, is one who follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, is committed to the mission of Jesus. Struggles, trials allow us to be changed by Jesus if we let him. When we endure, we receive the crown of life. When we pass the test, when we uh, have been approved, James says in verse 12, we'll receive the crown of life. But you've got to pass the test. So how do you pass the test? Sometimes it's just a matter of holding on. Galatians 6 says, uh, let us not become weary in doing well, for at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Sometimes it is as simple as saying, God, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm, I'm going to make it through this time. Just just hold on. Don't give up. Sometimes what it takes to pass the test means that we understand in a tangible way for the first time, it is not all about us. It's not about my pain. Life is bigger than, than my stuff that I'm going through right now when when we begin to grasp that is when we when we begin to be approved by God you know um, i wrote these words down because i think they sum up this entire message and and this passage of scripture and i want you i want you to grab a hold of them i, I think that they're important when god while God cares about everything that happens in your life, understand that he cares more about how you respond to what happens than to those things that happen. While God cares about everything that happens in your life, he cares more about how you respond. A disciple is changed by Jesus. When trials come, do you act like everybody else or you let Jesus work through you? To show his power, to show his perspective. The message version of the Bible is great. It's not a translation, but it, it's, it, it's a paraphrase that helps us understand the principles of Scripture in a greater way. Listen to these verses in the message as we close. I, James, am a slave of God and the Master Jesus, writing to the 12 tribes scattered, the kingdom come. Hello. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it to, when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind whip waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the Master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out, is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. As I deal with this passage, it takes me to one place that I think um, is the only place you can go, and that's that we need to worship I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your struggles are, but I'm convinced that there are a whole lot of folks facing a whole lot of really, really difficult stuff. If you're not experiencing trials right now, um, thank God, as we worship, but understand that they will come. They will come, and you need to be ready for them. We're going to sing not just to close the service, kind of like we usually do. We're going to sing three songs together, and and I want to invite you if. If you need to pray, if you want to come down front and pray, do so to just ask God for help. And, and it may be that, that if you see somebody down here, you want to come and pray for them, feel free to do that too. But let this time of worship wrap this section of Scripture. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let's stand together. Let's sing.